0: human on this earth plane, I am so grateful that you are here. Just wanted to take a second and say, if you click like or hit subscribe, it helps this podcast continue. I want you to live the fullest expression of your experience in life, and you can find so much more by visiting bufindhappy.com. There you'll find Empowered, my motivational journal for women, links to all of the various books, and so much more. Thank you for being you. Greg, thank you so much for coming on the BU Find Happy podcast. We're going to talk about some cool stuff. You're in my neck of the woods here in Northern California. We're going to talk about your pediatric ventures and burnout and all sorts of good things today. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about how you got into this field?
1: Sure. First of all, it's good to be with you, Michaela. I uh, have had a longstanding, uh, maybe even the uh, lifelong or at least my adult life uh long passion for wellness in all of its aspects including physical and, and spiritual uh the problem of burnout in the healthcare fields has been uh becoming more and more of an issue uh among physicians and other healthcare providers and so in response to this challenge Stanford started a program called WellMD uh 5 or 6 years ago and I've been a part of that since then uh and uh you know one thing led to another i found myself giving talks on wellness and and then um developing a program called gain and writing a book about it and things have just sort of taken on a life of their own and here we are
0: i um i really am interested about this because this has been so i'm a psychotherapist and um You know, the work that comes from being able to ground yourself and being able to clear your mental space and, you know, let go of client, um, of client stuff and, you know, be able to be the best provider possible is kind of a big running theme. Um, the gain, the gain stuff. Let's talk a little bit about that. What is gain and how did you develop that?
1: Gain is an acronym, which stands for what I think are really the four pillars of personal resilience, emotional and spiritual resilience, and they are gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment. And very briefly, just to run through those, gratitude, I think many people would uh, readily acknowledge is the cornerstone of happiness. Uh, You can be blind and happy, you can be very poor and happy but you'll never see somebody who's ungrateful and happy. So gratitude clearly uh, is a requisite element of our wellness. Uh, the next one is acceptance. And I think uh, just as the serenity prayer would teach us, we need to discern between what we can change in our environment and ourselves and what we cannot change. And those things that we cannot change, uh, those elements that cause us pain and suffering or cause us to experience the pain and suffering of others, which I think is very relevant now during the COVID era, uh, where there's so much pain and suffering globally uh, up to the present time. We need to have a strategy to accept these things, and it's something that I focused on when I went into intensive care medicine and uh, decided to have an anesthesia practice that would consist of taking care of very sick, sometimes hopelessly so, children, Uh, that I I recognized early on I needed to have a strategy to to, uh, deal with that. And it wasn't to keep a distance from my patient, but rather, how can I get close to my patients and their families while accepting the pain and suffering that they experience? And so this is something that we're all capable of, but we need to do it intentionally. And that actually gets us to intention, which is that we don't want to just be led around our uh, thought processes and experiences. We want to be proactive and exercise purposefulness. And that's one of the ingredients to mindfulness, as John Kabat-Zinn coined it, as uh, an awareness of the present moment uh, without judgment on purpose. The on-purpose represents our intention, and we can, through intention, rewire the way we think. And uh, I believe that we have a negativity bias, which is kind of hardwired into us. We also have an obsession with the past and the future, even though... Happiness is in the present moment, so we need to. You be know what's so funny? Like I was
0: that. just having coffee with a friend after doing a ninety-minute yoga this morning, and she was talking about this as part of um, some Al-Anon work that she's doing that had to come up in her Al-Anon. And I, in the past, I'd say year and a half, this has been my primary work as a human. Um, is to let go of, you know, the things that happened yesterday, they're in the rear view mirror, you know, and not dwell on what's coming for tomorrow and just be here now. I mean, you know, total bad Ram Dass style, like live here in this, in this, what this existence is because this is all that we truly have. And how much do we miss? Um, and I actually Instagram this the other day. How much do we miss being focused on what we're doing next? Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's really mind blowing. I mean, I was even thinking about this as like time as a construct, you know, Oh, it's lunchtime. Okay. But you know, you're so focused on what you're doing at lunchtime that you didn't even enjoy the first half of your morning. You know, you you couldn't even uh, take in and have gratitude for the various different experiences that you had leading up to that time. So I love that you said that. I love that.
1: Yes. I think that we, uh, we can look at our, thoughts of the past and the future as either adaptive or maladaptive. So for example, our contemplation of the past with respect to wonderful times that we've had with friends and family and, and even learning from our mistakes, those are adaptive considerations of the past, but beyond that, we tend to get stuck in the past. And that basically represents shame and uh, regret and likewise with the future. Uh, it's adaptive to look forward to good times. It's adaptive to plan to the extent that we need to put bread on the table, proverbially. But beyond that, our obsession with the future, as you pointed out, is really uh, one that generates fear and anxiety. And So we need tools to bring us back to the present moment, which is where happiness lives. And let's face it, that's all we really want, all 7 billion of us, is to be happy.
0: And, you know, one thing that I've been really thinking about lately is, you know, we can't experience happiness and people have heard this on this podcast before without experiencing pain, without the dark, you don't know the light, you know, and that's, and I think we get caught up in this idea that we have to be perpetually happy. And, um, I don't think that's realistic. I think we need to know how to have, like you described earlier, some grit and resiliency to bounce back from things that we perceived to be less comfort less comfortable or you know less happy
1: absolutely and that's the a in gain is acceptance and and during the gain meditation which i describe in the book it really can be as little as three minutes and we get in touch with our breath and then we begin a contemplation of our gratitude and that begins for me with just the gift of this day i'm grateful to be alive today and then we move to acceptance and instead of resisting pain and suffering we actually imagine that our chest is opening and our heart is opening to the pain and suffering and we bring it in closer and closer until we merge with it so there's no separation between pain and suffering and and what we call ourselves and through this practice we can eventually learn that in fact the pain and suffering is less than we imagined when we were trying not to think about it and i have a formula which is that suffering equals pain times resistance so we have a pain we can't do anything about it if we resist it if we try not to think about it for example it magnifies the suffering suffering equals pain times resistance
0: um and the eye
1: um the eye is intention uh, and, you know, through purposefulness, as I was explaining, we can sort of rewire the way we think from this negativity bias and this obsession with the past and the future to being more positive and more present. And a great example of this, Michaela, is the program at Duke called Three Good Things, where they've studied tens of thousands of people who uh, simply commit to thinking of three good things from the day as they prepare to go to sleep at night. So whereas normally when we take stock of our day at the end of the of the evening before we go to sleep, we're
0: we're thinking what went wrong.
1: Exactly. And so all we have to do is think of three good things. And and our conversation today, Mikhail, will be one of mine. And they've shown in, in the study called Three Good Things that people sleep better and they become happier people just by practicing this ideation of three good things at the end of the evening and really doesn't take any time to do it while we're turning the bed down for example um and so this is a really good example of how we can rewire the way we think simply by being intentional in this case of, of thinking of three good things at the end of the evening so that just shows that we are capable of rewiring our brain of becoming more positive overcoming our negativity bias and our obsession with the past and the future if we put our minds to it and we have a regular practice at any age
0: i mean at i think end, about it yes oh, I, Go was ahead. Gonna say, I think i think about it how you know humans are hardwired to uh fix things to like look at the problem and fix things and so um but humans also used to have a lot more downtime for appreciating little things. So I think what's happened is we have like this deadly combo of moving a hundred miles an hour, literally, literally 70 miles an hour in a car all day long, taking in all this input, doing all this stuff. And, Um, you know, our limbic reptilian system thinking of like, what did, what, what did I need to fix? What went wrong? What could I do better? And then combining that with no downtime to actually have appreciation. I love that idea of intention in that way. I think that's really a beautiful thing.
1: Absolutely. I think it's essential. And the fourth element of gain, Michaela, is non-judgment. And again, as John Kabat-Zinn, uh, defined mindfulness, uh, non-judgment is an essential ingredient to happiness and and present orientation. And, you know, we waste so much energy and and create so much aggravation for ourselves by constantly judging our environment and and ourselves, perhaps most importantly. And we often are comparing one thing to another or others to ourself. And the end in gain being non-judgment simply means that during this portion of our contemplation, We see the world exactly as it is. So for me, I sort of envision what the earth looks like from space as we've seen it from, uh, you know, our space program. And I look at that orb and I recognize that it's neither good nor bad. It simply is exactly the way it is. And if we can accept the world and others in it exactly as they are, we can eventually learn to accept ourselves. For what we are and who we are. And that I think is perhaps the most challenging. But the good news is that through daily practice, even for a few minutes, uh, and then perhaps incorporating these elements in our thought processes during the day, we can really become much more non-judgmental or less judgmental and, and be happier people uh, as a result of it.
0: This is interesting that you even say this because this came up recently. I was reading Don Miguel Ruiz's Mastery of Love. Um, I've read all of his works. I hadn't read this one yet. And um my husband read it before me. And he, we were sitting out by the pool and he's you know, reading the book, and he looks up at me and he says, I'm just gonna let you be a dog. <laughs> and I knew uh-huh. there was something to the to the book he was reading. So when I finally got to that page, you know, and it says you know we don't try to change our dog into a cat. We we don't. We accept our dog for being what our dog is in in every way that our dog is our dog. And um I love that. I love the idea that like let let and live and let live, you know, like uh, accept acceptance for where people are and and what they're doing and this has been huge in my life lately because of um you know a lot of the stuff that we're kind of dealing with in California in the way of uh, COVID. And, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because I've really had to say, everybody is just doing the best they can with the information they have right now. And I can accept them for that, for where they are and proceed on, you know? Um, and it's, it's been a challenge. It's been a journey. Non-judgment has been probably one of the hardest things that I have had to work on and check. And I recently read a book, um, the something of oneness, um, and it was it's it was triggering often because of the fact that, you know, I think that we've spent a lot of time, not just the past year and a half, but way longer, um, dividing ourselves. And so this idea, this concept of oneness and non-judgment, um, you know, you really got to tap deep to work through that one.
1: Yes. I mean, it's not necessary to judge others who have different beliefs than we do. And this part of our nature is trying to force the world into one in which our needs and and wants and judgments are satisfied. And not only is that impossible, but it's not even necessary to make an attempt to do that. Let's just take a step back and see things exactly for what they are and, and in a very neutral or maybe slightly benevolent manner. And once we get used to looking at others and the world this way, we can turn toward ourselves and begin to accept ourselves for what we are. And I think that is the most difficult challenge we face in many regards. But the good news is it's doable. With a, a, a daily practice that's not time consuming, we just have to make a commitment uh, to to repeat these uh, practices, if you will, on a daily basis. So
0: you're in the world of, um, you're in the world of, you know, all things medical doctorhood and pediatrics, um, pediatric anesthesia specifically. And, um, you know, this podcast is primarily women and moms. Um, I, I would love to get your thoughts on how you're approaching um, the vaccine and children right now.
1: Well, in terms of my critical care and anesthesia practice and, and my outlook in general toward the science of medicine, I think we have to uh, look at the evidence. And so far, the evidence toward uh, or regarding vaccination of children is quite positive. And, um, you know, there's still a lot about the virus that we don't know. But one thing we do know is if we're all vaccinated, we have an excellent chance of emerging from this pandemic as we we hope we're in the process of doing so i would encourage every parent uh, to arrange to have their children vaccinated Um, i think there's very little downside and uh, potentially a great upside
0: i've heard people say you know that they don't really know what's in the vaccine how do you feel about that not not knowing like not having transparency um in as far as ingredients go when it comes to pharmaceuticals in general
1: I think with respect to the vaccine we do know what's in it it's a matter of people if they're so interested taking the time to understand the science behind it at least the basic elements of that so we do we do know what's in the vaccine we know how the various vaccines are generated and how they work i i understand that people are concerned that there may be something in the vehicle that is the solution, if you will, in which the uh, key elements of the vaccine are derived. But again, this is where we have to look at the evidence. There, There have been hundreds of thousands and millions of people vaccinated now with very, very few side effects, other than those associated with our immune response to the vaccination, which is necessary, similar to what we experienced with the flu vaccine. And I think most of us, when it's offered, uh, consider taking the flu vaccine. It's mandatory for us who work in the hospital setting, but, um, I think we do know what's, what's in the COVID vaccines and how they work in general. Um, you know, and I, I think we have to trust the scientific community and the medical establishment to, uh, to, to provide what they say they're providing. And, and I certainly have that trust.
0: Um, This is interesting. This is something I've been thinking about lately a uh, lot as, you know, a lot of children were homeschooled or, you know, maybe distance mm-hmm. learning and things like that. Um, I started to kind of like evaluate uh what the expectations were from the schooling that, you know, children are supposed to receive. And me being in the psychotherapy world, I, you know, I started to realize, There are some really key things that are completely missing from the education system, notably uh, mental health. Like, I feel like this is a huge I feel like mental health is as important as math, science and English. Um, And, you know, it was interesting to me that this is just not incorporated into the general system of education at all. Um, you know, kids aren't taught survival skills. They aren't taught resiliency. They, they learn it through interactions with others, but they're not taught gratitude. They're not taught how to meditate. They're not taught, you know, these basic um, tools for calming themselves down in this kind of crazy modern society that we live in. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, I, I agree with you a hundred percent. Um, I think we put too much emphasis on math in particular, uh, you know, I certainly took calculus as part of my uh, pre-med uh, requisite course load. And, uh, you know, I do uh, some pharmacology modeling, which involves mathematics. My research is in the area of developmental pharmacology. That is how newborns, infants, toddlers, school-age children and adolescents are uh, affected by and metabolize drugs differently. And yet... Uh, I don't ever use calculus. I think, I, you know, again, I'm kind of baffled why algebra and calculus uh, and even uh, advanced geometry are so highly emphasized in our schools when they're really not practical, uh, you know, knowledge sets for most of us, almost all of us, in fact. And yet you're right. Living skills are are underemphasized. The good news is that mindfulness training is working its way into public education Um a friend of mine named Caverly Morgan started a program up in Portland for mindfulness in schools. It's actually called Peace in Schools. And that sort of program has proliferated uh, across the U.S. And so I think we may be on to something uh, on the right track here. Uh, and I wish we would, in fact, as you suggested, allow mindfulness and uh, living skills, uh, presence practice, To have a much larger role in our educational system and perhaps de-emphasize things like math that people rarely utilize during their uh, uh, personal and professional lives once they're finished with school.
0: I think so too. I mean, I think that it, I, I think that it's, uh, you know, I really feel like the antiquated system needs to catch up to the research and the insight that we have gleaned over the years, you know? Um, it's interesting to me, too, because when I first started psychotherapy 11 years ago, you know, and even now, clients that come to me that are older, it's very taboo. You know, we don't talk about this in our family. No one knows we're coming to counseling. Um, my millennials, they're like, yes, yeah, so I was telling my friends last night at the bar that my therapist said, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, it's interesting to see the shift um, in the tabooness of mental health in general. And I think that, you know, for me, I, I recently talked about this a little bit. I am not a big fan of labels. I have to give a designation to my clients in order to get paid by insurance. But if, if I had my way, sure, it can be a guide, it can be a guide, um, to, you know, identifying the best tools for, you know, helping people, but, but my perspective is labels, you know, labels can be really damaging and really dangerous if, um, you know, we don't recognize, like, do you really want to walk around with a generalized anxiety disorder label or a narcissist label or a borderline or a bipolar label? That doesn't do much for you unless you're identifying the fact that this is a symptom of a cause, you know, and that the work comes from working within the cause, um, not from, going out in the world and yelling the label, you know?
1: Absolutely. I, I agree with you fully. I, some things just must be reduced to their component parts and, and given a numeric designation in order for, uh, you know, our our system to work, as you pointed out in terms of insurance reimbursement and so on. But uh, those elements, those materialist or reductionist elements should be kept to a minimum and kept in their place. And And we're all, unique individuals and we should celebrate that rather than identifying what's wrong with us and and have that be uh, as you put it a label
0: yeah and i, I mean i really feel like uh, you know this is uh oh, i feel like we're making a lot of progress and i feel like these things definitely um you know th- things like this podcast and stuff like that really help and i think the more that we get these messages out about you know gratitude and mindfulness and non-judgment and things like that the more that we become whole as a society and the more we are whole as individuals the better we show up in general
1: Absolutely well we can only do what we can do ourselves and again that's acceptance of what we can change and what we cannot change we cannot change other people except through every little individual interaction we have and so let's celebrate those interactions. Let's be kind and open hearted toward others and, and learn how to be that way with ourselves as well.
0: Um, totally concur. And so you said you wrote a book. What is the book based on the gain concept? What's the book about?
1: It is. Uh, the book is entitled gain without pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals. And it it is a lot of storytelling and, uh, but there are chapters on forgiveness and and uh, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment individually, and then kind of pulling it together and uh, talking about the gain practice. And there are also chapters on sleep, exercise, and nutrition. So I try to have some content related to physical wellness and also spiritual well-being.
0: I like the spiritual component because I think that's a big part of, you know, what is missing. I mean, I, I was just talking about this with someone the other day that, um, you know, when we live in constant fear of dying without connection to spirit, self, source, God, whatever, you know, we're not living at all. We're just waiting to die. <laughs> um, and I think that the spiritual component, whatever that looks like for you whatever you refer to it as whatever you call it is a very important part of being able to come into self and and be present like we talked about earlier
1: absolutely I think it's it's something that we tend to resist rather than accept that is our own mortality uh, but I do think through a daily practice of of gain of that includes acceptance, if we actually contemplate our mortality and and what this means and we let that in we open our hearts to it it turns out that it's something that we can all live with and and not something that we have to be afraid of or have in the back of our minds always and uh you know it's it's uh if we we didn't have a limited lifespan we wouldn't really have the perspective to appreciate every moment
0: um Okay, so so one more thing on this topic, just because this has been coming up often with the variant of COVID and you are, you know, in the medical world, so I'm curious about this. I have heard some things about um, antibody-dependent enhancement. What exactly is that? And how does that tie into people that have had COVID prior? What are you guys seeing in the medical community in this way about, you know, the vaccine as far as it, you know, being an mRNA and all of that? How does this all tie together?
1: Well, I'm not. I, that that's a phrase uh, that I'm not familiar with. So, um, you know, we we the purpose of a vaccine is to expose us to elements of the virus uh, that are particularly recognizable by our immune system, and through exposure to those elements, like the spike proteins on the surface of the virus, we will develop an immune response that consists of antibodies in large part. So we generate antibodies as a uh, as the benefit of our response to a vaccine. And uh, even those of us who have been uh, exposed to the virus uh, and may have had uh, an asymptomatic or symptomatic case of COVID infection, we may have a boost in our antibody levels through subsequent vaccination. So I'm not sure... If the phrase that you mentioned, uh, antibody enhancement, I think you said is related
0: enhancement. Yeah. So what, so what my, what my research has shown as far as just kind of what I've been reading and trying to get my head around in the world of virology, um, is that something to the effect of if you naturally receive the antibody from the virus. So in other words, you get the virus and your body builds the immunities this is different than if it is injected in a way where it is not the actual virus itself, you know, the, the, um, and I, and I know they say it is, you know, uh, the virus without the active ingredient or whatever, um, or active component. But the idea is that then if a variant comes out and, you know, we're hearing about this Delta variant now, um, that you will actually have a weakened immune response to the new variant.
1: Well, so far, as far as I know, uh, and this isn't my primary area of, of research. I know
0: it's, I'm throwing this on you. I'm sorry. Not at all. No, no, not <laughs> at all. Uh, I,
1: as far as I know, all of the variants that have been identified, uh, are still, uh, attacked by the immune system once we've been vaccinated. And so, in other words, uh, as long as we're vaccinated, we still are largely protected even from these variants. And Mm, so, you know, I think the point is for enough of us to get vaccinated so we have the so-called herd immunity and uh, this should prevent us from being infected even by the variants that are out there at the present time. Obviously, you know, there can be further mutations in the virus that render it uh, less susceptible to the vaccine, or at least make us more susceptible to getting infected by the virus, even though we're vaccinated. But as far as I know, up until the present time, that has not occurred. And so, you know, we need to continue aggressively getting everyone vaccinated. And, uh, uh we would in that case have immunity even against these variants
0: i thought herd immunity comes from the the natural process but but regardless of all of that you know i i kind of have this approach on life which may seem a little morbid but i feel like you know in general we do a lot to um this is my personal opinion it probably uh upset a lot of people but conceptually we do a lot to prolong um, you know, rather than, let me put it this way, rather than focusing proactively on health, I think we spend a lot of time and money reactively responding to illness. And I really think that this is a very backwards way of having a existence really as humans. And, and what it, and what I think it ultimately causes is, you know, we prolong the life of people who are very ill um, for a very long time. And I'm not really sure how natural that, that is. I don't know how healthy that is for society in general, um, or for the people that I see suffering from things, you know, um, it's sad to me that, you know, it used to be back in the early days of, and granted humans didn't live near as long. I mean, we're definitely seeing much longer lifespans and things like this, but it used to be, you know, when somebody took ill in a village, um, there was this celebration of life and this beautiful passing on to the next, whatever the next is for you. Um, in in their case, you know, whatever it was for them. And it was such a beautiful process. And now I see we, you know, cram people that are half dead, barely living a life at all into these hospital beds that, you know, stack them up 17 stories high and what is that? I'm not so sure. I, I just, I don't know. I feel like we should be spending a lot more time and money focused on the proactive side of living a healthy, happy life.
1: Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I think there's a couple of important concepts in, in your narrative, but one of them is an emphasis on prevention rather than treating disease. And uh, I think that's why our healthcare system is ranked as poorly as it is. We're excellent at taking care of illness, but we're not very good at preventing illness. And I think this is clearly where we need to be going. And I think everything we're talking about is part of prevention. Um, you know, sleep, exercise and nutrition, uh, the tripod of elements that support our physical well-being, uh, and there's a chapter on each of those in my book, uh, but also, um you know, our spiritual wellness and, uh, you know, our our healthcare system really should be much more geared toward prevention rather than treatment. Although, uh, you know, we all appreciate the wonders and the miracles of modern medicine when it comes to treating diseases. So I, I do think, though, it, there are just so many reasons why we should put much more in the way of resources into uh, wellness and disease prevention, rather than focusing so much of our uh, our resources on on treating disease.
0: Greg, I completely wholeheartedly concur, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing some of these incredible insights with our listeners. I really appreciated having you on.
1: My pleasure, Michaela. Anytime.
0: As always, we include everything that you need to know about Greg's book and what Greg is working on in the show notes. Thank you so much. I just had a great time today, Greg.
1: Thank you, Michaela. Take care. Bye-bye.
0: This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.